This weekend, I hosted an after party for two dozen high schoolers. Uh, my daughter's a sophomore, and this is the second of two weekends uh, surrounding homecoming. And let me tell you, when uh, you get to go to an after party at the pastor's house, it is wild. I mean, it is hard. I mean, police showed up, the neighbors were calling. I mean, the amount of Bible study and biblical trivia that happened in the house a couple of nights ago, really wild. Um, but all the kids were kind of spread out through the house in the backyard doing different things. Some were playing pickleball, some were hanging out. And then there were these two boys who were sitting by kind of this like fire pit that wasn't lit. And they were just sitting there staring at this empty fire pit. And I, because I was an awkward teenager, I had like this soft spot for boys in this particular predicament where they don't really know how to interact with the rest of the group. And so I'm like, well, let me swoop in and help out these guys. And so I walk over to the guys. And I'm like, hey, y'all know how to build a fire? And they're like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I was like, no, no. Do you know how to build like a good fire? And they're like, uh, maybe not. I said, you see, here's the mistake people make. And then I start to pull in like all my years of backpacking experience. Most people build fires like a teepee, right? You lean all the pieces of wood together. You put a little bit in the middle at the bottom and then you light it on fire. And it lights really fast and it burns really quickly. But if you've ever made a fire that way, you know that pretty soon after that, as the larger pieces catch and they start to burn, it eventually collapses on itself and will sometimes just put the whole fire out. Now, for some of you, you're taking notes. You're like, oh, I did not know how to do this. There is a better way to build a fire. Now, the way that you build it is a little counterintuitive. You stack all of the big logs at the bottom right next to each other. And then on top of them, you turn it 90 degrees, and then you stack another set of big logs. And then you start to go to smaller and smaller logs, alternating 90 degrees as you get near to the top. And then you put all the kindling and all of the pieces of paper uh, paper bags work really well. And then you put a couple of sticks on top, right? And so it doesn't look like the traditional way that you build a fire. But when you light it that way, it takes a little bit longer to burn and to catch. But once it does, the, the uh, kindling lights the sticks on top. As those turn into embers, those start to fall into kind of the spaces between the larger logs, which catch those logs on fire. And so instead of this teepee collapsing on itself, it all just starts to settle in and settle down on its face. And it continues to burn and continues to burn. That's the better way to build a fire. And I think, if you'll permit me to make a leap, I think that the way that we build fires is similar to the way that we build churches. Right? We just lean a couple of things against each other. We light it on fire real fast. It burns real bright for a second, and then it falls apart. Because over the last 25 years, 40 million Christians have stopped going to church. That represents almost 16% of the entire population of the United States. 40 million Christians over the last 25 years have just stopped going to church. Now, there are some kind of like obvious reasons, whether it was a church scandal or some type of abuse that happened in the church that's caused people to leave. But that's far and away not the major reason why people have left church. They've done some research on this, and they interviewed almost 10,000 people as to kind of the trends regarding why people are leaving the church and no longer going. 
And the number one reason why people are leaving is because they just stopped going. There wasn't like a, an incident that happened or some specific acute reason. It was just like, well, we started to make more commitments and we started to get busy and then we had kids and then they got busy and then the next thing we know, we just stopped going to church. 40 million people who burned real bright for a second and then it all kind of collapsed on itself and went out. And I think there's a better way to build a fire and there's a better way to build the church. And so for joining Sunday today, as we get ready to invite new people into the church and into our church family, I want to talk about what that looks like for just a second. Now, there are layers and levels to membership of any kind, of participation in some type of group larger than yourself. And they kind of kind of go from the largest and the most inclusive to the smallest and include the least number of people. And you'll recognize these in your own lives, right? So the first is this large, broad category where people find something they like, a product, a service, an organization, and they subscribe to it. This is the largest category. Now, this includes everything from your Amazon Prime membership to your gym membership. This might even include a country club membership. Whatever it is that you belong to on the shallowest level, but the broadest level possible, is something that you subscribe to. Why? Because of what you get out of it. There, it brings some value to your life. And so you participate in it as long as it provides the value, right? There's very much a consumer mentality with this type of relationship and with this type of participation. You'll subscribe to it as long as you're getting what you paid for out of it, as long as you derive a sense of value from whatever it is that you're subscribing to, right? We all have subscriptions, and eventually sometimes we start to evaluate the, the value of the subscription, and we're like, I'm not doing Disney Plus anymore. Nobody watches anything on Disney Plus. We're canceling Disney Plus. Or for you, maybe it's Hulu or you know, whatever the media services are or whatever types of information subscriptions you, you pay for. You're like, I'm just I'm not getting what I paid for out of this. So I'm just going to stop this, right? That's the first level. That's the shallowest level. And for some of us, this is kind of how we have thought about church. We talk about, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're church shop. Highest level, you subscribe to it. The next level. The next level that happens is you believe in actually the organization's mission, the cause that they're endeavoring to pursue. So this could be a, um, an organization that cares for animals. This could be your neighborhood watch. This could be something that you're like, I see the merit in what they're doing. I believe in what they're doing. And as long as it doesn't cost me too much, I'll, subs I'll support it. Like I'll, we'll send the money in every month and we'll write the check and we'll do the thing. But if the requirement of me is too great, this is when I'm out. I mean, it's not that I've stopped believing in what they're doing, but I just, I can only support it up to a point, and then as long as it starts to ask more of me, then I've, that's for somebody else who has a greater belief in what it is that they're doing. And I actually think for a lot of people, this is kind of where they find themselves with church. I believe in it. I think it's great. But I'm not really ready to commit to supporting it beyond a very surface level amount. We'll, you know, we'll send in you know, a couple of dollars when the plate comes around. And that's, 
that's it. We fit it in when we've got time. You know, if there's not anything else going on and the calendar's clear and we got a lot of sleep the night before, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll show up. That's the next level. But then there's a different level. And this is the level that I hope everybody who's about to join the church is at. And this is the level that I hope everybody who claims membership at the Grove is at. And this is for everybody else where I eventually I want you to be at. Whether it's at this church or another church. It's not just about us, but it's about the depth of commitment. From subscribing to it to supporting it. And then the last is ultimately willing to sacrifice for it. This means that you make decisions that put it first and prioritize it. It means that it, you show up to church even when you don't feel like it. It means that you support the ministries of the church even when that feels like a painful decision to make. You orient your whole life towards the participation in the community of faith. And it's not just because uh, you sacrifice to see the church go and do something, but it's because of the, the interdependence that you have with the church. And this is the biggest shift that I think we have to make as people in the 21st century of Western civilization. We live in an independent society. We make our decisions based on what allows us freedom and autonomy of choice to move through the world and interact with the things that we want to interact with as it suits us and as it meets our needs. And if we apply that same logic to the church, that fire is going to collapse. And it doesn't sustain our faith. But if we can shift to an interdependence, recognizing that this is a community, this is a family, you can insert whatever language you want, this is a team, they're like, this only works when we do this together. There's something that kind of happened in the life of the church this weekend. One of our members had a loss in their family. And the way that I found out about this loss is that the leader of their small group reached out to me. And so when the leader of the small group reached out to me, I called this person. And when I got a hold of this person, he's like, thank you so much for calling. My phone's been ringing off the hook from all of the other people in my small group. Which means that there is a community that has surrounded this person and this family in a really painful, in a really difficult moment. And the same would happen if it wasn't this person, but somebody else in the small group. There is a relationship. There is a connection. There is a community that's willing to support one another. And statistics show that this is the greatest danger of the 40 million people leaving the church over the last 25 years. The data shows if you're engaged in a religious institution, if you are deeply connected to a church and faith community, higher levels of health, Higher levels of mental health, higher levels of life satisfaction, deeper connections and friendships. In a society that's plagued by loneliness and anxiety, if we just allow for this superficial, quick, easy connection to a church, then where does that leave us? And we have the chance here to do something different to commit to a different way of living in the world, of showing up and showing others what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just a place that you go one hour a week, but it's a way 
It's the way that that one hour a week informs the other 167 hours of your life, week in and week out. It's not about numbers for us, but it's about the way that people's lives are being transformed. And that only happens when you're deeply connected and you're deeply committed to what's happening. This is not a new problem in the church, though, in the 21st century. Despite the 40 million leaving the faith over the last 25 years, this has always been this tension that the church has had to navigate and the church has had to manage. How do we help people recognize the value of a deep sacrifice and commitment to the community? Whether it's in a physical building or whether it's in a home or whether it's hiding in a cave in the first century for fear of persecution from the Roman Empire. There's always this gravitational pull to not be willing to sacrifice for it, to maybe support it, and at the very shallowest to subscribe to it. And so in this letter that Paul writes to this church, most kind of historians believe that this was written to a church somewhere in the Roman kind of empire, somewhere near the city of Rome because of some of the details. But they're struggling to keep people tethered together connected and interdependent to one another. And so these are the words that he writes them as kind of an encouragement and as a reminder of why it matters to be engaged at a really deep and sacrificial level to the church. This is what he says. He says, let us seize and hold tightly the hope we profess without wavering. Now, this idea of like holding tightly to the hope we profess Earlier in this letter, he writes, he talks about how this hope, our profession and belief in Christ is the anchor to our soul or the anchor for our soul. And as I meet with people and as I look around the world and I see what's happening in the news and all that, what I see more than anything else is people whose souls have no anchor. People who are lost and being pulled in every direction towards every whim, trying to appease their desires and always coming up short and coming up empty. And I think what we need more than ever is people whose lives and whose souls are deeply anchored to something bigger and greater than ourselves. And this is what Paul says. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Human nature is still the same. Let us seize and hold tightly the hope we profess without wavering. He goes on. He says, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful. Our hope is not in an institution. Our hope is not in ourselves, but our hope is in the God, as the song says, who never fails. The God that is always there for us, even in the midst of the most difficult moments in our lives. The God who shows up when life is hard. The God who is with us and working ahead of us when life is good. When we're afraid of what's going to happen with our health, when we're unsure of what's next for our job, this is the God that is still there and still faithful. When we don't know what's going to be next for our kids in the season of life that they're in, when they're struggling, when we're wrestling with doubt or fear or loneliness or anxiety, this is what we hold to, a deep faith that anchors our souls and our lives. But it's not just this individual solo endeavor. The Christian faith is not meant to be something that you work on by yourself, for yourself, to the exclusion of everything else. That's not what it's about. He says, no, this only, this hope that we hold, this faith that we believe in, is something that works itself out 
in the context of community. He goes on. He says, and let us consider how we, how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. This is the manifestation. This is the, the working of the hope out into our life. Jesus says it really simply. He says, if you don't know love, and if you don't love, you don't know God. It has to manifest in the context of how you interact with each other. The way that you treat your family, the way that you treat the people that you don't like. This is how we know whether or not this faith is producing something in us and working in us. He says, so let's consider how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. How we may come alongside each other next Sunday and cheer each other on as we are serving the men of Nehemiah. This is why we do serve Sunday, because we recognize it's important that our faith is not just something that is something we hold intellectually, but something that we leave this building and we go out and demonstrate in the world. Not something we do as one giant group, but this is the reason that we talk so much about our faith being this practical application and working itself out in our daily lives. Not every church puts an emphasis on that. Some just want you to really believe. And as long as you believe, that's enough. We think that's only half the picture. We look at Paul's example here and he says, listen, hold fast to the hope that you profess and consider how this works itself out in the way that you interact with one another. And then he goes on. And he says, don't stop meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as some are in the habit of doing Don't stop meeting together. As believers for worship and instruction, this is what we do when we gather. We worship and we instruct so that we can go back out and continue to love and to do good deeds. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then he ends. And he says, but gather and encourage one another all the more. There's a a concept in habit formation and habit curation where you're trying to change your life, you're trying to optimize your life, you're trying to do different things that improve the quality of your life. And the way that they talk about it is a keystone habit. It's the habit by which if you can put this habit in place, it supports all of the other habits. If you know anything about how they built kind of door frames in the early world, they would have this keystone, this keystone stone that would then support kind of the arch of all of the other stones in place. And so this keystone habit functions in a similar way. When you put it in place, everything works and flows better because it's in place. And it's not as simple as this, and it's not reduced to this, but I think showing up to church and committing Sunday after Sunday to be here is the keystone habit for our faith. Yes, we want you to pray. Yes, we want you to read scripture. Yes, we want you to be generous and to serve other people in the world. And... Showing up on Sunday is what allows that to be reinforced with you and with us collectively and together. Here in a second, we're going to invite those who are about to join to make a commitment to support the church across five areas. They look like this. Their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. Those don't happen if you're not here. I know it's not as simple as like just show up and then you show up. I recognize that our lives are filled with good commitments that get in the way of church. 
What I'm asking is for you to reconsider those commitments, not to stop participating in all the things you love. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm asking you to reconsider the priority of those commitments. Because I believe your faith, the profession of that which you hope to, and the way that you participate in the community that supports that faith is the single best thing that you can do for yourself, for your kids, and for your family. And I get it. I know I'm biased. I'm a pastor. There's a little bit of mutual interest for me in you being here. But it's because, honestly, I believe it. And I believe it so much that if this isn't the church for you, go find a church that is. That's how much it matters. It's the best thing that you can do for your life. And I'm so excited that we got people who are ready to make a commitment. Now, that might feel like a bit of a hard sell and a little bit of pressure that I just put on you, but that's okay this morning. It's because it produces something in us. Showing up on Sundays reminds us of the hope that we profess. It reminds us that we are not alone in this life and that there is a God who is always faithful. And we recognize that and we see evidence of that in the way that we live and interact with one another. This life is too hard to do it by yourself with a soul that's untethered, hoping that you can just, through the combination of your own strength and intelligence, success in your profession, wealth, whatever it may be, those are good tricks, but eventually you find something in life that they can't fix. And most of the time, you end up showing up at church in those moments. Why? Because at the end of the day, this is the thing that anchors our souls. And so as we get ready to invite those who come forward, I hope that all of us will reconsider our commitment to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Because it will make all the difference in your life. Friends, let's pray. Gracious God, it's in this moment that we recognize that you have designed us to be in relationship with one another. And it's in those relationships that we live out our relationship with you. And so God, help us to love each other well. And in doing so, to love you well. God, we give great thanks for these individuals who come to make their profession of faith and to profess their commitment to this community of faith to live out the hope that they profess with each one of us. God, you are the giver of all good things. And in you, we are richly and abundantly blessed. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.